Now, we are in a series, uh, <coughs> excuse me, in Song of Solomon, uh, which is a series, uh, which is a book right in the middle of our Bible about relationships. And it talks about uh, attraction and dating and engagement and marriage and the honeymoon and conflict and, and lasting commitment. And it talks about sex. And all of that is found in just a few pages right here in the middle of your Bible. And, 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 and as we see this couple uh, go through this book, as, as we read through it, there's this couple that's highlighted. Uh, parts of their story remind me of Stacy and I's story, my, my wife. And, 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 and when Stacy and I were first getting to know each other, um, she was off limits. All right, and here's what I mean by that. She was dating one of my roommates when we first started getting to know each other. I found out later this apparently runs in my family because my mom and dad met because my mom worked at a soda fountain, like at a drugstore soda fountain, like back in the day. Um, my dad was there getting a burger and a shake, and they struck up a conversation, to which my dad asked her out right then. And he goes, what are you doing tonight? And she said, well, I'm supposed to go out on a date. And he said, with who? And she told him who. And he goes, you don't want to go out with him. You want to go out with me. And he, said, he goes, where is, he, where is he picking you up? Well, she, he's picking me up in front when I get off my shift. He goes, I'll be in the back. You decide where you want to go. She came out the back door, got in the car with him, and off they went and drove by and waved at that guy as they drove off. <laughs> so, so that was them. Um, <laughs> Stacy was off limits because she was dating my roommate, right? And I was like, I don't want to play that game. Um, they ended up breaking up, and, and uh, Stacy and I stayed friends. Um, and, and so she was off limits, though, because of that, because the roommate. But she was also off limits because she was going through this ministry program where they focused on learning scripture, learning the Bible, and serving in the church and serving in the community. And so, so as they spent the nine months in this program, the, the person directing the program asked those who weren't dating not to start dating and, and, and to be able to focus on ministry and pouring out. So she had this commitment that she took to not date during those, those 10 months, 9, 10 months as she was going through that program. So she was off limits for that reason too. But as I got to know her, during that time, it was actually great because then we just got to be friends with no pressure, right? And so as I got to know her, I, I, I realized there was a lot that I liked about Stacy. Her relationship with Jesus was different than mine, and yet very real, very, uh, very sincere. And, and I loved to hear her talk about her relationship with Jesus. We had many of the same interests, like we would go jogging together. We have probably been jogging together twice since we've been married, but when we were dated... <laughs> We went jogging together, right? I remember one time in particular uh, when we had been jogging, because we lived about a half a mile away from each other, so I would do my warm-up to get to her house, pick her up, we'd go jogging, we'd have this path that we would do, we would stop at my house, and then I would go in and she would do her cool-down back to her house. There was one time in particular we came to a stopping point, and the conversation continued. Right? Like, like, even though I was supposed to go inside and she was supposed to go on and cool down, like, we were just talking and the conversation just continued. And then she said, okay, I got to go. And so she, she started at home. And, and it was then I was like, wow, she is really beautiful. And it's funny because I've told her about that, that that was the first time that I saw her 
as beautiful. And she's like, are you kidding me? I was sweaty, had my hair pulled back in a ponytail like we had just finished jogging. I was like, I know, but you were beautiful. You are, I mean, she is beautiful, but that moment, I was like, she is beautiful. I need to take this relationship up a level. And so even though she was off limits, I kind of made the decision right then. As soon as she became off, off limits, and finished up this program, I wanted to ask her out on a real date. Like, just the two of us, real date. Now remember, from last week, we defined what a date is, right? That the date is any time you and a person with whom you're attracted to agree to be at the same place at the same time, that is a date. So that makes it simple, clear, and not complicated, right? Which makes a lot of you are on a date right now. So, so I wanted to ask her out on a date, and she said yes, right? And, and, and we had a couple of dates. I thought they were great. She wasn't as convinced because to her, I was still in the friend zone. She, she'll tell you, she's like, at that time, like, he was just my friend Fred, and I love spending time with him. And I asked her out, and I made my intentions very clear. Because I told her, I was like, listen, I could spend time with other, with other girls. If that's what I wanted to do, I could do that. But I'm asking you to come out with me because I want to know if God would have it in his will and his plan for us to get married. That's why I'm doing this. Like, we've, we're already friends. I'm taking it a step deeper. And I said, so that's my intentions. And I'm not saying we are going to get married, but I'm saying this is what I'm striving for. This is what I'm looking for. And every time I asked, she kept saying yes. But she was very clear too. She's like, my heart's not there. You are a friend to me. And I said, great, as long as you keep saying yes, and as long as you know where I am and I know where you are, let's just keep doing this and see what happens. And too, I was a missionary at the time, and I traveled all around the world starting churches. And I told her, I said, and by the way, I've got people on five different continents praying for you, so you really don't have much of a choice. <laughs> Literally, they were praying for her by name to become my wife, which was great fun. Well, a few months into our dating, she came to me, and she goes, my heart's changed. She goes, I don't see you as a friend anymore. You, you have my heart. And at that moment, our relationship changed. It went from dating to what some people call courtship. Like, we were both on board at that point, and we were looking to see, are we going to get married? That's what we're going to see today. We're going to see this couple, we, 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 we've seen them in attraction, we've seen them dating, and <clears throat> now they're going to move to this courtship phase. And in our culture, we don't necessarily have courtship. A lot of engagement is, is what courtship used to be when someone puts a ring on a finger and, and they become engaged. That's a big shift in the relationship. Because here's what we're going to see in this phase of the relationship. We're going to see commitment, we're going to see passion grow, and we're going to see both of them work at the relationship. He's going to do some serious work for her, and she's going to do some serious work for him. 
And that's what we're going to see. And that's going to help us all, no matter if you're single, uh, no matter if you're married, divorced, widowed, uh, this is going to apply to all of us. And so if you will, turn with me to Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verses 8. We're going to go all the way through chapter 3, verse 5. If you need a Bible, there's one in front of you. It's on page 455 in that Bible. Or as we've talked about, you can also do the Bible app. Uh, We're in there under events and under Fellowship Asheville. If you don't know where Song of Solomon is in your Bible, it's real easy to miss, right? It's only a couple of pages. And if you open your Bible right towards the middle, you're going to hit Psalms most likely. That's usually in the middle of most Bibles. Uh, You go from Psalms, the next book is Proverbs, the next book is Ecclesiastes, and the next book is Song of Solomon. And, And it's the wisdom literature that's there. And here's what we've seen in this book so far. We've seen this couple declare their attraction to each other. Right, and, 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 he, and we saw that in that attraction that she wasn't attracted to this guy's position. He was the king of Israel, and, and, she, and, and he wasn't attracted to just her beauty. We saw that they were attracted to their character and their identity, and that that's where attraction has its core, and that, that we saw their character and their identity anchored in the, in the gospel. And last week, we saw them move from from, from attraction to dating. And as we talked last week, we said that words have power, right? And we got to see the words that they said to each other, that he spoke to her beauty, saying that she was like no other, and that she spoke to what she respects about him, that, that he wasn't like any other man that, that she had known. Well, what we're going to see today is that, is that as the relationship goes deeper, that, that these relationships, as they go deeper, require work now. But it's work based on the work of Christ. So what we're going to see today is that relationships require work based on the work of Christ. Well, let's look at verse 8. Let's look at verse 8 and see what it says. So this is her talking. It says, the voice of my beloved, here he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. And so remember, this is a song, right? And as a matter of fact, some of your Bibles don't have the title as Song of Solomon. They have it as Song of Songs because this is considered the ultimate song of the Hebrew nation. And, and, and so because it's a song, it's poetry. And, and so what, what we see here is she is looking out and she sees her man approaching that, that, that she talks about him as leaping over the mountain, bounding over the hills. There is excitement and there is eagerness. He is leaping and bounding and she is looking for him. And so what they're doing is he is showing up for a date. And they are excited and they are eager to be together, to spend time together. Like, do you remember when you used to get ready for a date? Right? You worked hard at looking good, didn't you? Right? Friday night, we had a date night here where, we, where FSM and their volunteers watched your kids so that you could go out and have a date night. And y'all, you looked good. Right? There, is a, there, there might just be a prediction floating around those volunteers of how many babies will be here in July because of that date night. But y'all looked good. Right? There was eagerness and there was, there was anticipation about this. <coughs> this is where they are. Look at verse 9. She says, my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. Now, I know this sounds like he's a creeper, right? (laughs) 
It's not. Remember, this is poetry. You have a, win- you have a wall, and you have a window, and you have a lattice. In their time, the, the way that houses were structured, the way that homes were structured, is you would have the living space, and then you would have an outside courtyard, and you would have a wall that surrounded that outside courtyard. And so that wall was the furthest distance. So she's looking over the wall, and he, he approaches the wall, and then he, he comes closer to a window, because that was on the outside of the wall. And then the rooms weren't separated by solid walls. A lot of the rooms were separated by walls with holes in them so that the air could travel through, because they didn't have air conditioning. And so that's the lattice. And so it shows this progression that what was far away is becoming closer and closer and closer. And it's a picture about their relationship. It's this poetic form that he is getting closer to her. And and, and a way to think about it is this. When you think about dating versus courtship or engagement, that dating is about observation. Right? We saw them look at each other. We saw them observe each other. When you date someone, you're looking for who they are. And you're careful not to just observe their strengths. You want to observe their, 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 their weaknesses. You, you want to see who they are in different situations. Honestly, dating is about finding a reason why not to date them. Right? Because you're watching. We talked last week. You know, in dating, you have... To, to successfully date, you have both eyes wide open. To stay successfully married, you have one eye closed, right? Dating is about observation, but they're about to go deeper. Because if dating is about observation, courtship is about involvement. And so, so he is moving closer to her. Dating, you watch. In courtship, you engage with each other. That's why it's called engagement, because you engage with each other. You take the relationship deeper. You let them draw close. Now, I want to dispel a verse that's misused grossly out of context a lot of times when it comes to dating. And I want to get us all on the same track with this because because Proverbs 4.23, people use this as a dating verse, and it is not a dating verse because that verse says, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And people will use that verse to say, when you date, you keep the walls to your heart up and, 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 and you don't let those walls down until you get married. This verse, now that may be fine at wisdom, but this verse isn't about guarding your heart from someone. It's about guarding your heart from sin, right? And in this stage of the relationship, as you go from dating to courtship, Part of what happens in this stage is you let those walls down. Not every wall. There's some walls that, that you keep up. We're going to talk about that one. But, but in, in, in this stage, you let that wall, you let those walls down because this stage of a relationship requires deepening the relationship. In dating, you explore who the person is. In courtship, you are investing in this person, which means, yes, you're more guarded during dating. You're observing But as you get closer, those walls come down. You still guard your heart from sin, but you do not guard your heart from love. Because our God is a God of love. Now, here's what that means. You might get your heart broken. And I know that's why people use that verse, because they don't want to have their kids experience a broken heart. They don't want the people they love to experience a broken heart. But y'all, sometimes that happens. You don't protect your heart from love. This couple is in love. Those walls come down. Watch what he says. Verse 10, 
My beloved speaks to me and says, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, the vines are in bloom, they give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. What season are we in? Spring has sprung, that is right. It is the season of love, and he has shown up with this invitation to join him. And he is clear about his invitation. He wants her to join him. Now, if you remember from last week, during dating, we saw him do the same thing, that he declared where their relationship was. And he said the banner, she said, his banner over me is what? Love. Their relationship already had a label. They were dating, and the banner over them was love. He made his intentions clear, and here he's inviting her to join him. Now, for us, you know, we don't have all this parade that they have. We don't have all this. What we have is something very much uh, simple and yet very uh, hard to do sometimes, and we call it a DTR. Y'all know what a DTR is? What is a DTR? Define the relationship. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you are scared of a DTR, right? How many of you are scared when somebody says, "Uh, we need to talk about us? He is clearly inviting her to join him. This is their version of a DTR. And, and if you feel stuck in a relationship like where you don't know where the guy that you're dating is or the girl that you're dating is, you don't know if you're in this courtship phase, you don't know if you're in the dating phase. Maybe for you it was a shock that I said you're dating the person next to you because y'all texted and said you're going to meet here at church and sit next to each other, but you are. So that's the stage you're in, Right? If you text each other and decide to meet at Gold's Gym, you are dating. If you text each other and decide to go to a movie together, you are dating. That's where you are. But if you're not talking about it, you need a DTR. If you have been dating and you're sharing what's on your heart and y'all are having these deep level conversations, you need a DTR. And here's what a DTR does. A DTR answers two questions. The first one it answers is where are you right now in the relationship? Where are you right now in the relationship? And the other question it answers is, where do you want the relationship to go? Now, here's the deal. Guys, I want to take the pressure off. You don't have to have a grand plan for this. You just have to be honest about where you are. Right? And if you say, listen, I'm really liking our time together. I'm really liking you. I'm not sure yet where this is going, but I want to continue. That's a whole lot better than saying nothing. Ladies, if you're confused and you don't know where he is, it is okay for you to have the DTR and to say, listen, I just want us to have a conversation. I know where I am, and I know where I want this to go, and if you're willing to share with me, I would love to know where you are and where this goes. Like those DTRs bring clarity to the relationship and help you know where you are because here is why this is important. 
If you're dating, you're observing. If you're in courtship, you are engaged, and you are not like technically engaged, but, but like you're engaged in the relationship, you're involved in the relationship. And so do you need answers to those two questions from the person that you are dating? Look at what happens in verse 14. Because they've had their DTR, he is inviting her to come away. And he says, oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, and the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face and let me hear your voice. Now, now what he's referring to in poetic form here is that a dove would build a nest in, in a cliff. Uh, and imagine a cliff, the wind that gushes around it, the waves that crash up against it. It's a very chaotic place. And what a dove would do is it would find a crack in that cliff, a, a cranny in that cliff, build its nest there. And make a home because that's the place where the wind doesn't hit and the waves don't crash up against it. It is the safe place. And he knows that right now, after they've had this DTR again, and after he's let her know his intention for her to join him into this season of love now, what happens is she is afraid and she is scared. And he knows that it's his job to, to woo her because this fear is a holy fear. It's not a fear about him. We've already seen how, what she thinks about him. But it is the reality of the situation that, that as this relationship goes deeper, there is fear in her, not about him, but about the fact that this is a real relationship. This relationship requires change. This means I'm going to be serving him the rest of my life. He's going to be serving me the rest of my life. Is this the guy that I want to do that with? You see, this is a big change. It's exciting, but there's also fear with it. Now listen, this is natural. Where commitment and fear, where there is a raising of commitment, fear uh, is always present. Commitment and fear go hand in hand all the time. And he is acknowledging her fear. Why? Because he knows it's his job to do that. It's his job to woo her. And y'all, I'm going to tell you from years of experience of working with couples and discipling singles that, that move into this dating phase, I'm going to tell you that the best relationships are those where the guy does this, where the guy takes the initiative. The best relationships are the ones where the man takes initiative. Now, y'all, listen, I am, this is not a political statement. I am not pro-one group or anti-negative group. I am telling you there is something in the heart of a woman, no matter what she believes about God and Jesus and her place in, in, in a society, there is uh, in the heart of every woman a desire to have a man that leads her. And y'all, I have seen it. I, I used to work with this woman who was the most... Um, uh, like independent woman I have ever met. And her and I were having this conversation about a man leading her. And she's like, there's no way I want a guy to lead me. And I said, really? I said, any of the guys you've ever met and dated, would you want them to lead you? No. I said, what if you met a guy that you respected who he was, like in the core of his being, in his spirit, you saw in him something that was noble and kind and good. Would you want him to lead you? She goes, well, if he exists. Yes. Yes. You see, the best relationships are the ones where... The man takes the initiative. 
look at what he does in verse 14. Um, where are we? Uh, he says, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. He does something simple. He compliments her. He compliments her. Now, remember last week, I gave you the homework to compliment your spouse, compliment the person you're dating, compliment who they are, compliment their appearance, just a simple thing of complimenting them. How did that work for you? Now, y'all, how long have y'all been married? 54. And it was great. Yes! And it was great. I'm not going to ask them what they mean by that. It was great. Right? This is what he does. This is what... You do. You call attention to what God is doing. Well, now this choir chimes in again because because as this relationship deepens, uh, they have this caution for them. In verse 15, it says, Catch for us the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. And so, so his job is not just to woo her. This choir is telling them that his job is also to protect the relationship. Because what this this song is now about is it's picturing this this vineyard. And vineyards had walls around them to protect them. because, Because during the spring, what would happen is that a vine has blossoms on it. And those blossoms are what turn into the grapes, these bunches of grapes that they make the wine. They make they make all the stuff, they make all kinds of stuff out of. But what would happen is if a fox got in the vineyard, a fox loves to eat those blossoms. And if it eats the blossoms, then you don't get grapes. And so the vineyard is completely wiped out. And so they would, they would monitor the walls around the vineyards, not just to keep out other predators, but in particular to keep out little foxes because they will find the nooks and crannies and work their way in. And once they work their way in, they can destroy an entire vineyard. And so without this verse, without verse 15, verse 14 might look seductive because the caution here is as the relationship goes deeper, there's one wall that doesn't change. As a matter of fact, there's one wall that you have to make sure it stays completely intact, and that is the one of this physical boundary between the two of them. As a matter of fact, as the relationship deepens, protecting physical boundaries is all the more important. We'll see that in a little bit. Because these foxes, they'll get in and, and eat it. And, 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 and so the, the, the choir is telling them, don't let anything creep into this relationship. And when physical boundaries aren't maintained at this stage of a, a relationship, when it moves from dating into courtship, there's already been the warning in dating to, 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 to keep those boundaries in place. But because we are a church where it gets real here, like, like I'm just going to be real with you all. When little exceptions are allowed in this phase of the relationship, when physical boundaries aren't maintained, it does a whole lot of damage to the relationship. And I've seen this play out way too many times. It's about to get real, y'all, because listen, mediocre sex, mediocre sex will cover up a bad relationship. In this stage, when it goes from dating to courtship, when it goes from, from dating to engagement, I have seen couples let those walls come down, let the physical boundary wall come down, or even let little cracks in it and go further than, they, than, than either one of them or at least one of them is comfortable with. When those aren't maintained in this stage, it makes the couple think that their relationship is better than it is. 
Because in this stage, sex feels like intimacy, but it's not. It actually prevents real intimacy. And notice I said mediocre sex. It didn't even have to be great sex to, make, to cover up a bad relationship. Because sex in this stage where this choir is telling them to hold back, and they do, the reason they're telling them to hold back is because they don't want them to think the relationship is better than it is because they require work. Y'all, when I do premarital counseling, I, I try and meet with couples at, for about 10 sessions before I do their wedding um, or b- while I'm doing their premarital counseling. And in the very first session, I will ask them this question. How are y'all doing at pursuing purity? Now, here's what happens. They'll either look at me confused, like, what do you mean by that? They'll look down to the ground, or they'll look me straight in the eyes. And if they're confused, I'll say, okay, here's what I mean by that. Are y'all having sex? Oh, that purity. Then they'll tell me, yes, no, maybe, how do you define it? Which always means you are, by the way. <laughs> I've been doing this for a while. I know, I know what that means. But what I tell them, without any judgment, I just say, okay, here's what I want you to do. If you want me to do your wedding, if you want to continue in premarital counseling, I want you to stop. I want you to stop having sex because I want us to see what this relationship is really made out of. Because right now, sex makes it feel like you're very intimate with each other, and you may not be. Let's see if this is a good relationship. Have you ever taken apart a digital clock? Have you ever looked at it? It's full of wires and, and, and little computer boards and stuff and a lot of empty space. And you can take a cup of sand and pour it in that digital clock, and you know what? It'll still work. But have you ever seen a clock made by a master clockmaker? One whose, whose knowledge and wisdom has been passed down for generations. When you look at that clock, there is no empty space in it. If you were to put a grain of sand in that clock, it would shut down. And what this choir is saying is it's saying be like a clock made by a master, not by a, not, don't be like a clock made by a machine. Seal up those cracks so that you can enjoy the real fruit of this relationship in its time. And so let me ask you, what hinders your relationship? Singles, is it sex before marriage? Then reset the boundary. Because here's why. I want your honeymoon to be a honeymoon. I want it to be a celebration of commitment and purity. I don't want it to just be a night in a fancy hotel for you. Right? I want more for you than just a vacation. God has designed marriage this way for a reason. Married folks, you're all off the hook here. Is there still a crack in the wall around your relationship? Has, has porn entered in? Or even worse, has adultery set into your relationship? In Reengage, we tell couples, Reengage is a marriage ministry that we do in the spring, and it's like 16 weeks, and it is fantastic, and we'll start talking more about that in a few weeks. But, but in Reengage, we have this phrase that we use when we talk about marriages. And, and the phrase is this close the door. In other words, if you picture your marriage is in a room and that room has all these different doors where somebody could come in, is it, are any of those doors opened? Even if a crack, are they opened? Is there a door that you need to close so that your relationship can be protected and grow? 
And so for you, has a little fox crept in and started stealing the fruit of your relationship? If so, let me tell you, there is hope. I discipled this guy named Matt, uh, uh, Mike years ago, and, 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 and Mike's story of faith is a pretty incredible one. He, uh, somebody shared the gospel with him, and he accepted Jesus as his Savior. At that time, he was living with his girlfriend, and he went home and literally shared the gospel with her. Like, literally, he just heard it, said yes to Jesus, went home and said, Melissa, you're not going to believe what I just heard, and told her the gospel, and she said yes to it. And so you have these two brand new believers living together, and, and, and within a few weeks, they realize, like, okay, this isn't the best way for us to live. You know, we're Christians now. And so he decided to move out of the master bedroom and move into the guest bedroom. Well, you can imagine how long that lasted, right? Not very. So he made this commitment. He said, okay, I'm going to move out, and I'm going to ask you to marry me. Because I don't want you to confuse the fact that I'm moving out, that I'm moving out on you. I want us to get married, but I want us to do it right. So he asked her to marry him. She said yes. They got engaged. They got married. And that's when I met Mike was shortly after their marriage. And, and he and I were talking just because I'm nosy. I asked him. I said, I said, so, Mike, tell me about your honeymoon. What was your honeymoon like? Y'all had already had sex. Y'all had already lived together. Like, what was your honeymoon like? And, and as a brand new believer, he said, Fred, there's this verse in the Old Testament in this book called Joel. And it says that God will restore what the locusts have eaten, that there was this plague that came through and, and destroyed the land. But the promise was that God would restore. And he goes, let me tell you, we made this commitment before God to, to be pure and to not have sex. And God restored it. He said, Fred, our honeymoon was like we had never had sex before. We laughed. We giggled. It was embarrassing. It was fun. It was good. And it, it was like a restored relationship. He said, Fred, our honeymoon was as exciting as if we had never been together in the first place. You see, church, our God is the God of restoration. The God of restoration. And so for you, do you need that kind of restoration today? If so, then say yes to what Jesus offers because that restoration is only found in him and through his forgiveness. And for those of you who have said yes to Jesus, that forgiveness you may not need it for the first time. You may need it for the upteenth time. And, and here's the, the, the deal about the forgiveness in Jesus, that the forgiveness found in Jesus never runs out. That no matter what crack is in the wall, no matter if the wall has been completely blown out on one side, there is forgiveness. And look at her response next to him setting the standard. Look at his response to, to, to keeping that wall up and intact. In verse 16, it says, My beloved is mine and I am his. He grazes among the lilies. Until the day breeze and the shadows flee, turn my beloved and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the cleft mountains. Now, if you have an ESV, it says cleft mountains. If you have another version, it may say the hills of Bether. Or it could be the hills of separation. Y'all, here's the deal. The hills of Bether, you can put it on Google Maps, nothing comes up. She's not talking about a geographical location that she wants him to climb up on. Right? She is talking about the hills of separation that are on her body. She is wanting him 
in the midst of these boundaries, in the midst of him leading, it excites her and turns her passion on for this man, that his commitment to physical purity makes her want him all the more. Now remember, this gets steamy and this gets spicy. This is the book that Hebrew single women read to learn how to be passionate. This is the book that Hebrew single men read to learn how to protect those boundaries and how to be men of honor and purity. And so the, 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 the text of this book is that for you as a woman of, woman of God, it is good for you to feel passion for the man that you're dating, for the man that you're, you're engaged to, for the man that you're married. That passion is actually a holy thing. And it is also good for the man to be the one who keeps those boundaries clear and who keeps those boundaries tight. That's the biblical model. Our culture has flipped it. To where now it's the women who have to say no instead of the men. And we've seen where that gets us. Men, it is our job to say no. Actually, at this stage in the relationship, it's just our job to say not yet. There is a time, but this isn't it. And look at verse 3, because now we see her work. I mean, chapter 3, we see her work. It says, on my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. This is a dream that she's having. And in this dream, we're going to see the work that she gets to do to pursue her man. Look at verse 2. It says, I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. <clears throat> I sought him, but found him not. The watchman found me. And as they, as they went about the city... Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. She is pursuing him by stepping into his world, literally. He is the king of this city. He is the king of this nation. And she is stepping into the city to pursue him and stepping in to find him. And so, work, so ladies, your work is to step into your man's world to pursue him. Doesn't matter if you're single or married, if you're dating, like, like your job is to step into your man's world to see the world as they see it. Now, here's two complaints that I hear from women about this, and I'm going to show you how to fix them today. All right? One complaint is that he won't tell me how he's feeling. When I try and pursue him, when I try and step into his world, he won't tell me how he's feeling. And the other complaint is, yeah, I'll step into his world, but I want him to lead me. Okay, so let's address the first one, because I'm going to tell you how to fix both of these. This woman, uh, what this woman did is what you get to do. To pursue your man, you step into his world. Now, I don't mean going into his man cave. That's probably off limits for all of us. Like, I mean, step into his world. How does he see the world around him? You want to talk about feelings? Here's what you need to know. Men don't know how to talk about feelings, all right? In a very general sense, Men don't know how to talk about feelings the way women do. There is just this inherent difference. And so don't ask the man that you're pursuing, don't ask the man that you're stepping in, well, don't ask him, hey, how are you feeling about this? Because he will probably give you a pretty blank stare. I'm going to give you a better question to ask. Don't say, how do you feel? Say, hey, right now, just right now, are you mad, sad, or glad? Right? It's three choices. They all rhyme. 
It's very easy. Actually, these three emotions, you can spin off to every emotion uh, that you can think of. Ask your man, are you mad, sad, or glad? Now, in a woman's world, you would say, how are you doing emotionally? Right? That's how women talk. Women say, what's God teaching you in your heart right now? That's how women talk. And if you hear them talk that way, they know what they mean when they say that. Like they, they have these conversations about what God is teaching them in their heart, and it's beautiful to see. But most men look at it and go, what in the world are they talking about? Right? In a man's world, you say, are you mad, sad, or glad right now? And the other issue, you want him to lead. Now, if you're dating and you're the spiritual leader in the relationship, that's a big red flag, and it could be a reason to get out of it. Right? You don't want to be the spiritual leader when you're dating. Women, you don't want to be the spiritual leader when you're dating. You want to find a man who will lead you spiritually. But sometimes when you get married, that that desire uh, gets heightened, and and you want your guy to lead you spiritually. And so if you're married, what does it look like for you to pursue him? Here's what it looks like. It looks like you step into his world, and maybe you can see in his world he is leading you spiritually. And so for this one, don't try and change him. Try to know him. Because in his world, if he is providing, if he is, you know, y- y'all have got a house to live in and a car that you can drive most of the time, in his world, he may be saying, I am providing. I am leading you spiritually. The fact that I'm taking all this on me is freeing you up to do the stuff that you enjoy doing. This is, this is leadership in his world. In your world, it may look completely different, but, but your task to pursue him is to step into his world and to see it as he sees it. And when you see it as he sees it, you can affirm what you see. You can speak encouragement to what you see. And then maybe after you do that and you have these conversations about mad, sad, and glad, you can, you can see is all this, you know, this is great and I love what you're doing and, and, and I'm going to ask you something. I'm going to ask you how it makes you feel, but, but, you know, I see you doing this and it is great. Do you think maybe we could pray together in the evenings? Like how would that make you feel? Would that make you feel mad, sad, or glad if we prayed together? Oh, I think I'd feel glad about that. Oh, great. Well, whenever you're ready, like, just let me know, and, and, and let's start praying. And he, he might say, well, let's do it tonight. Okay, we'll pray tonight before we go to sleep. Like, that's after his leadership has been affirmed, and, and, and you've had that conversation. And just like before, that kind of work, look at what it produces in the rest of verse 4. She says, I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. Y'all, this is spicing up. She wants him, but then there's this. The choir chimes in. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the doves of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Where passion increases, so does restraint. So men, listen. Relationships require work, right? It takes work to woo your wife, to woo your girlfriend. It, it takes work to call attention to what is beautiful, to, to take her out. It takes work to go on date nights. It takes work to protect the relationship and catch the foxes and to answer the question, what is ca- causing damage to your relationship? Women, this takes work. It takes work to pursue your man, to step into, into their world, to make a goal, to know him, to know who they are, not who you want them to be, but to know who they are. It takes work to affirm what is great and good and godly in them. It takes work not to ask them how they're feeling, but to ask, are you mad, sad, and glad? 
But the question is, why do we do this? Do we do this just to have better relationships? What is our, what is our motivation? If it's just to have better relationships, I think there is a better reason than this. Because relationships require work based on the work of Christ. We are empowered to do this and to pursue each other this way because Jesus has done this for you. Jesus has, has wooed you. He has pursued you. He has protected you. He has listened to you. He has affirmed you. He has loved you. And he has stepped into your world. So we pursue each other because Jesus has pursued us. We work in our relationships because Jesus has worked for us. And so I've got homework real quick, and I'm going to shut down because I'm way over time. But listen, men, here's your homework this week. Identify the biggest problem in, well, let me rephrase that. Identify your biggest problem in the relationship, not hers, your biggest problem in the relationship. Ladies, you're welcome, all right? Identify your biggest problem this week, and y'all talk about it. Where have you let those cracks in the wall? Talk about it. Women, your homework is this. Answer this question. What makes your man tick? How can you step into his world with him and pursue him? And how can you acknowledge his greatness in that area? Deal? Got your homework? We'll post it on social media too so you can see it if you didn't write it down. But I'm going to come after you, all right? You're going to see it somewhere. I want you to do this because I want you to be better in your relationships. Let's pray. Jesus, you pursued us. You followed us. Um, you wooed us. May we just do as you have done. May we work in these relationships and may that work be because of the work that you have done for us. God, we love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.